Welcome to the Conduit Deeper Podcast, a podcast that takes a deep dive into the details that surround our current sermon series. From current events to fascinating finds to conversations that take us deeper into the Word. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to our Deeper Podcast. My name is Mo, campus pastor at Conduit Church. Join each and every week with our lead pastor, Darren Tyler. And hey, man, breaking news. I don't know if you knew this, but we have record gas prices again today. <laughs> man. <laughs> hey, we talked about this last week, uh, but no, it came in today. Nine days in a row in which the price of gas has reached a new record. Yeah, I I, uh, I f- filled up my old uh, you know truck yesterday and four dollars and fifty nine cents a gallon. <laughs> yeah, like for a gallon, one gallon. Yeah, what kind of what kind of miles per gallon do you get? Oh, buddy. Um, <laughs> so basically, my Not enough. It, no, it's like a two thousand three Lexus GX four seventy, which is basically a Toyota with makeup on it. But it won't die. Like it's got two hundred fifty thousand miles. So now I've, I'm like yeah. thinking, I just have to keep going. Like right. I just see how far it can go. Right. But I'm thinking somewhere around twelve-ish miles to the gallon. Really? Yeah. And it's not good. Oh, that's terrible. Yeah. It and this was before the technology of that existed, where it would tell you the average mile, you know, per gallon. Right. Um, so you really don't know. So I really don't know. I, I would it's guess not, it's I more than that. I know it's not good. No, it's not. I, oh, it's not gosh. good. Because um, it's like it's got a V eight. I mean, it you know it's yeah. it it it's got some beef. Yeah, I mean, I would think my, I mean, I know my Tundra gets around, uh, around fifteen, fourteen to fifteen, but I would think that we would probably get similar. That you would actually get better gas mileage than my in my truck. No, those old vehicles. I mean, yours is, what year's you? 17, 17, yeah. See, by then, you know, Greenpeace, the whole thing, like, they were, they were starting to get some stuff figured out on... Maybe. You know. All I know is, man, it hurts yeah. pulling into the gas station. And I saw that come across this morning, and just like, wow. But the thing is, where we live in Franklin, it's, uh, it's higher. You could drive, what, 10 miles... Mm-hmm. South and it drops anywhere from twenty to forty cents a gallon. So I'm trying to do the math to figure out if it's worth it. I'm guessing it would be. <laughs> yeah. So I, Glenn's Grocery by my house, which I've you know shout out Glenn, whose uh, name is not actually Glenn. He's, out in the sticks. He's from Hyderabad, India. <laughs> he, he is not from. Uh, he is not. His name is not Glenn. But but he had to pick a U.S. name, right? At some point. No, he or bought, did he buy? He bought it from Glenn. So who was Glenn? Yeah, I don't know. Out on the Grove. R.I.P. Glenn. Yeah, he's one of those old school, you know, college Grovians that yeah, you know originals cashed out a little, probably too quickly. But no, this little gas station is hilarious because it's eight forty and one of the most wealthy parts of the southeast. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are. No, there's no gas stations. It is unbelievable when they designed 840 out for this segment. Yeah, that there are no restaurants, uh-uh. no gas stations, nowhere to stop. Yeah. I mean, if you miss an exit, you're you're kind of yeah. hosed. So Glenn, uh, his bathroom, I kid you not, is a porta potty. Is it really? Like at a construction zone. Oh no. So imagine, you know, you and the Timmons are on a coast to coast trip, and you're on 840. Like, oh, I gotta get, we gotta get gas. Gotta get the bathroom. There's a gas station up ahead. Yeah, finally a gas station. I haven't seen one in like 20 miles. 
and you get off and you're like this so disappointing this it like there's no <laughs> there's a porta potty like and it's uh like a construction zone porta potty oh, it's not like one of the fancy ones with music yeah. and air conditioning it's a porta potty <laughs> that someone comes with a, a well, you think maybe he could invest a little more into it now that he's getting four dollars oh. and fifty nine cents a gallon? Oh, he has zero interest in that. Here's uh, VJ's way. That, so when I very first moved out there, twelve however many years ago now, a lot of years ago, I was getting coffee about nine in the morning. And there's no coffee, and he says, um, "Like I, uh, I could make you a pot." I'm like, "Well, because so you don't understand, you know, like convenience store right. denotes convenient. Grab this, and go. This is inconvenient, and." His logic is that he does not want to pour uh, out coffee, so he would rather not sell me uh, a cup of coffee from a pot that he may have to throw away rather than, you know, so he just lost whatever, $1.50. And, and I was trying to have this conversation. I swear it. This was <laughs> me trying to be helpful because um, it's, it's, it's it. There's nothing else out there. Yeah. And uh, But he never, you know, so he's he is... My guess is VJ and his family, um, he is attempting to squeeze every last dime out of this without spending anything yeah. uh, on his investment. He's this, a principled man. This is the guy. This is the gas station where my daughters went for a Diet Coke or actually, actually probably Mountain Dew. They don't drink Diet Coke. And it's like 8 o'clock at night. They open the door to come in, and on the floor is VJ's wife wailing. VJ... Uh, Waving, go, go, no, we are closed, we are closed. Uh, she was having a baby. Oh, my word. Okay, now, I don't know if she gave birth on the floor of the gas station. All I know was the next morning I stopped in. To congratulate them? Yeah, the new parents. <laughs> and she's sitting behind the cash register with baby VJ. <laughs> Ringing up biscuits and, and gas. I'm like, I, I, that's impressive. They run a very efficient system over yeah. there. Yeah, so based upon that information, they're not getting a bathroom. That's like, we can have a baby right by the Cheetos and the oil. Like, we can, we don't need a bathroom. And diesel is now uh, at a record number as well. I think it's, I think it's uh, $5.20 a gallon as well. So, Look, and uh, in California, official uh, average in California is over $6. My uh, goodness. That's the average from coast to coast. In California, that happened yesterday, where it's officially the average cost of gas per gallon in California is $6. And they're saying it's going to, we could get there. But you know, it turns out, you know, Ronald Reagan back in the 80s said that inflation is the cost of all of those free things you got in the uh the, the things you thought were right. free, inflation is the cost of them. Yeah. Uh, when it you catches up. Yeah. Like, it's not uh, that controversial or that, like, it's not even, like, this is brand new information that when you, as a government, print money, that it causes inflation. That's yeah. historic. Like, it's not, like, new. Yeah. Uh, it's not like Thomas Sowell just came up with that out of nowhere. Like, that's been around. and. Here we are. And that's not a, you can't even say that's a Republican or a Democrat thing because it was under a Republican president that they spent mm-hmm. trillions of dollars. Trillions. Yeah. I remember uh, old uh, D. Trump's name signed at the bottom of the checks that went out. And he wanted them on there, yeah. right? Yeah. And here we are. Uh, these chickens have come home to roost. Yes, they have. And oh, man. It's a challenge. So, anyways. That's not, this is not the context of our entire talk today. No. But with the breaking news of nine days in a row of record high gas, I could not let that slip by. It, it, the, I'll tell you where it is the talk of whatever of our talk, the talk of our talk, is 
so biblically speaking, in, in the prophetic calendar, rapid inflation, like runaway inflation, is actually a part of Revelation eschatology. And, and you know, at the time when John wrote that, I don't know that he could have possibly have known that uh, inflation is caused by government spending money that they don't have, printing it. And it's it's a global inflation that he predicts, like global, not just a local one. So we are for the first time that I'm aware of in history at a point where a global inflation could run away. Yeah. Uh, because governments all over the world have been printing money, not just us. Right. And so when you talk about what we're talking about right now, which is church, the purpose of church, like the, the, our plan, our you know why we're here as a church. Uh, doing this world alone right now is just not good. It's not smart. It's not how we were meant to be. And at a time when the world is going through birth pains, as Romans calls it, we as a church have an opportunity to not cower back, to not bend over in fear, but to rise up and to move forward with it. So, you know, gas prices, baby formula, there's... It literally, it sounds like the the intro to a dystopian movie, you know, like the the newscast that comes on like the beginning of a movie, like gas prices are awesome, we're out of baby formula and war in China. Like, but it's actually the actual news, not just a pretend news, you know, before like aliens attack Will Smith in a movie, like this is our lives. And as a church family, um, we need each other as much as we've ever needed each other. And we need unity as much as we've ever needed unity. And we yeah. have an opportunity to do that. And I'm proud of us. I mean, as a church family, I'm, I, golly, like I'm proud of like what our church has been a part of in the past two years, especially the past 12 years for sure. And looking to the future, there's just so much opportunity for us to band together and build an outpost for the kingdom of God so that when Jesus comes, you know, he, he, said he would find us working. He, he didn't say, uh, hide out until I come. He said, occupy until I come. And we are an occupying force at Conduit Church. Yeah. And you dove into that just a little bit more on this sermon series that we're in more than a name, um, week three, three of four. Um, and this week was specifically, you know, a church being a church on purpose. Yeah. And uh, what that looks like on, on mission together. I know that's kind of an overused phrase. But what it can look like when everybody is doing the work of the gospel mm-hmm. on purpose, with purpose, yeah, um, it brings a lot of um, brings a lot of unity to a group of people. Yeah, I mean, the first week we talked about the churches. Uh, the church didn't need a mission, but the mission needed a church. So Jesus gave us this mission, and it was going to require church, a church, an ecclesia, a called out group to get it done. And then the second week, we talked about that that ecclesia is not a fortress that we're protecting. It's a, a force that's being deployed. And the third week is like, okay, so how are we doing that? Like the the church on purpose, like we're not just coming here and just whatever happens, happens. Like there is, we are on purpose doing things, purposefully doing things together on mission. And that's the whole uh, crux of like where we started in first Peter two, which he Peter talks about what Jesus' church would look like. Peter, who was on this rock, you will build my church, that Peter is now saying that rock is Jesus, the living stone prophesied uh, in in the Old Testament to us, the Torah to him, 
we are the living stones that are now built on top of that. The Not dead stones, but living stones. And you come to him, verse 4, 1 Peter 2, the living stone. He was rejected by humans, but chosen by God, precious to him. And you also are like living stones being built into a spiritual house. Uh, most people's footnotes will say temple of the Holy Spirit, um, if you look in your margin. But to be a holy priesthood, which means we're all priests now. There's no priest that goes in and, you know, get, does the sacrifice and comes out and tells us whether our sins are forgiven. We're all priests because all of our sins are forgiven. We all have access to the Father like that. So on purpose, us as a church together, doing things that he's called us to do with, with purpose on purpose. And our church is literally full of that. How does I'm going to I'm going to throw a little bomb out there. Are you ready? Oh, always. <laughs> Actually, not, I'm not, I don't know if I am or not. How does the Catholic Church reconcile that verse about being spiritual house, a holy priesthood, how each of us now have access to the Father and to the throne? They don't operate in that way. No, no, no. Um and I'm just I know just enough about the Catholic Church to be dangerous, honestly. Um Obviously, they believe that when they say on this rock, they believe that Peter was the rock, and so Peter was the first pope in their minds. Right, so Saint Peter started from there. So, um, if in fact I would, I, I don't have a Catholic Bible in front of me. One of the, of course, one of the benefits of the Catholic Bible is you get like bonus books. <laughs> True, you get extras. They buy one, get three or four free. Um, but from you know their Bible, like you know, they would go to. Um, the idea that the, the the Catholic priest is who is uh, who who we do go to for our forgiveness and for our you know but and the Pope is the one that continues to speak on behalf of of God and so I, I from what I understand of Catholicism they, they they would look at the word priesthood as not uh, like they would sort of reinterpret that as uh, not the role of a Catholic priest but just as a people mm-hmm. in the church. Yeah, well, I mean, I, there's definitely a lot of freedom that comes from understanding that each of us have access to the, to the throne. We have access to the king, to the father, um, and not just the father or the priest down the road. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have access to the, our heavenly father. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of freedom in that. There is, and when you think back, even um, actually thinking on the Catholic Church in general, there's. There was a reason why they didn't want the Bible printed in the language that the people could read or understand. Interesting. Uh, there's a reason why the the, the the Holy Church was trying to control the information because we couldn't be trusted to understand. And it's easier to hide things like this if you can't read it. You don't know that, you know, the priesthood thing and saved by grace, you know, through the blood of Christ, like all that stuff. Once the people could read it, I mean, Martin Luther coming out of that, reading the Bible for the first time, that you know, the Reformation happened because people were finally reading it and going, wait a minute, they might... They've been withholding on us, and the people, you know, the, it's true. Throughout history, the people who were silencing information, the, the people who were burning books, the people who were silencing voices, they were never the right side of history. So if that's your side this day, you know, you might want to reconsider your side because uh, as far back as the Catholic Church with the Bible, that was the, one of the original people can't be trusted with this information, so we have to interpret it for them. This passage that is is written here in First Peter, um, man, it gives uh, a lot of hope to each one of us that we do belong and matter as brothers and sisters of Christ in the church family. Like each of us have a role, and that was one of the distinctives um, that you shared this week. That everyone has a role to play and a purpose to fulfill. 
regardless of of whether it's on a stage or off a stage or in the foreground or in the background, each one of us with our gift set, with our calling, with our passions, with our skills, our talents, we have a we have a role and a purpose to play in the church family. Yeah. The concept of church for me a, lo- a lot of my life was it was a place that I went to. You go to church. Where do you go to church? Which is it, it makes sense and it's sometimes in some ways it's just semantics, but there's an expectation that I was going there to get something as opposed to that it was just one meeting in a week that looked like Christianity the rest of the week. Like it was just a, a place where I could come be inspired to love each other, be inspired to good deeds and to be motivated and to, you know, but then to continue to be the church throughout the week. And it, it does feel like it's um, uh, in some ways now overused where, you know, we, you don't go to church, you be the church, which is true. But like, how, but how, like, how does that happen? And the the answer is, the Holy Spirit, okay, you're a living stone, you are connected to another living stone, and together, this living stone, you're now creating this house of God, this temple of the Holy Spirit. Individually, yes, I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit. You know, Paul says, you don't know that your body is the temple, don't, you know, let your, your temple of the Holy Spirit, like, you know, in sin with other, you know, you're bringing Christ into that sin, so you individually are the temple of the Holy Spirit, but we together create, like, the house, the temple of the Holy Spirit um, with each other, and when you think about the house of God, like your part of the house of God uh, might be Lynn Simpson's part of the house of God, which is helping moms who have chosen life for their babies with the pregnancy center. But Lynn's not doing that alone. She's just inviting her friends to go with her. Like it wasn't like she had to start a nonprofit or a 501c3. She just started doing what God called her to do. It was a passion she had for very specific personal reasons. And invited other people to go with her to help out. And, you know, like Lynn didn't write a check for $105,000 for the pregnancy center in April, but she encouraged others to do that. Yeah. And together, these living stones have created this part of the house of God as a place where mothers who choose life for their children, for their babies, are seen, loved, and cared for. That's it. Like, it's... We don't have to overcomplicate it because it's not how it was. It's not supposed to be complicated. If you remember, our government came up with this phrase several years ago, um, see uh, see something, say something. Remember that? Oh, buddy. Yeah. You know, uh, putting us all on alert. If you see something wrong, you see something that's out of place, say something. Go tell some, go tell a government official, let them handle it. Yeah. But that's not at all what. Um, that's not at all what uh, the kind of the gospel calls us towards is see something, do something. Yeah, yeah. Like go, go and do that thing. Um, don't need special permission. You don't need, um, you know, to be validated. Just see it and just and just do it. Yeah. And we're seeing a lot of that kind of happen over the past couple of years, especially people seeing things that need to be done, maybe out of a sense of urgency or um, just a sense of excitement uh, about opportunity. They're just doing it. Things are getting done for the kingdom right now, it seems like. You know what I hated about the see something, say something, is that it turned 
people against each other. Yeah. It was not a unifying thing. No. It was a divisional thing, a dividing thing. And to see something say something does not put you in the position of doing something kind and good and merciful, but it puts you in the position of being a snitch and a Nazi and a, you know, and so mm-hmm. now you're trusting the authorities to, you know, handle fix this it. problem and fix it. So see something, say something actually means that you have no power. All you are is someone who can tell somebody who has power to do something. And that's mm-hmm. just not the kingdom of God was not see something, say something. It was, you know, Jesus saw it and did it. And now we get to do something good, not to go and punish people or to shame them, but in us doing good, First Peter 2.15, by doing good, you will silence the talk of foolish men, not by scolding them or shaming them, but by doing good and inspiring people into that. Like we have that inside of us, the desire to do good, but we also have the desire for evil. And as Dostoevsky says, the line of good and evil does not go through groups of people. It goes through the heart of every individual. So see something, say something means you're making yourself a good person now uh, blaming a bad person as opposed to a saved person enjoying the mercy that he has given us uh, as a people of mercy. This weekend I had, uh, we were we were on a walk and in our neighborhood and there's a couple of little four-way stops in our neighborhood. Quiet, very quiet neighborhood. But there was this kid riding his four-wheeler. Um, he just buzzing around the neighborhood, having fun, wearing his helmet. And uh, coming to not a complete stop at a four-way, but <laughs> you know, it's just there's no cars in our neighborhood. It's a very quiet uh, little little neighborhood. And and sure enough, by the time I got back home and you know picked up the phone, scrolling through a few things, somebody on our Facebook group, you know, an older woman that lives on the corner of that four-way, was just tearing up this this young man for not coming to a complete stop on his four-wheeler, and then. Posts links to uh, how you know four wheelers are not supposed to be ridden in the city of Franklin. <laughs> just laying this kid out, and it just oh, it just felt so oppressive. Yeah, and I just I felt so bad. I mean, that kid's never gonna see it. I mean, he's ah. he's she's talking to no one. Yeah, um, but it just reminded me of 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 some of this. It's like you know trying to enforce these rules. This kind of the, almost this the self-righteousness uh, that's permeating in the smallest of things, mm-hmm. such as maybe not coming to a full stop at a four-way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we as humans, um, it, it, I don't, I don't understand, like, I don't even begin to understand, like, the, 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 the like a Facebook group of a neighborhood. <laughs> like, we first oh, bought the house in, in the neighborhood we're in, we were invited into the neighborhood. Uh, Facebook group, and there's a, for, you know, a few months while we're building whatever, and months going. Oh my goodness! Like I'm literally about to move into like Nazi Germany, in College Grove. Like they were HOA. Yeah. Oh man. And and but but people like freelance, um, rep- self self appointed. Yeah, self appointed, <laughs> uh, complainers about you know things that are happening in the neighborhood and, uh. It, and I, look, I we had been on a farm, like you know, peeing right. off the back deck. Like it right. wasn't exactly a whole lot. It was like the wild west out there. Uh, and I wasn't expecting to be able to come to our new neighborhood and participate in things like urinating off the back deck. Sure. But I was, you know, not looking. To, but what I what was weird. So here's what's weird is that the, that's what exists on the Facebook group. But then in real life, like that didn't I didn't experience that. Like I had these really wonderful and these kind neighbors, and 
but it just reminded me, you know, okay, but that's us. Like the, the thing that social media has done is it actually has given us this mirror, this magnifying glass into humanity mm-hmm. that out of fear, because I'm sure, um, I don't know if she did this in her post, but usually when there's a young man that's driving too fast in the neighborhood or a construction worker, it's followed by uh, someone's going to get killed. Some child is going to die. Like some, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Like 100%. It just escalates to you know the absolute worst case scenario. With it, so it's a, it's not out of love; it's out of fear. Yeah. Um, and James chapter four, verse one. You know why do wars happen? You know what what is it that causes you to war with each other? Uh, it's it's your own selfish. He says, "What causes fights and quarrels among you?" With James four one, don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Mm. Like, yes, that's where the wars come from. I'm, it's not I'm battling with you. I've got this battle within me, and uh, you just happen to be the collateral damage of the battle inside my heart. Your desire, you desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. But you do not have because you do not ask God. And it's a uh, 100% reality in all of our lives that I've got these desires and these things and that I... And, but instead of asking God or going to God with it, I'm looking at my neighbors. And so if they're getting away with rolling in through the four-way stop, the temptation is, well, I'm, I'm obeying the law. Why can't they be as good as me? And so you, it just creates in your own evil desires these fights and it, you know, bringing it back to the church. Like that's why the church was so – it is so important and the unity in the church is so important because he talks about the people of mercy. You once were not a people, but you now are a people. The people of God, you once didn't have mercy, but now you have mercy, chapter 2. And I, you look at that and think, that, that sounds so simple, but it's really a beautiful and complex thought that to categorize ourselves in any other group besides a, a people of God, it will end in wars and divisions and destruction. Because when you start categorizing into groups and into tribes— then one tribe has wronged another tribe, and that tribe has to pay for it, and then this tribe is avenging that tribe. And it literally, it's why identity politics are so damnable, because it now pits a tribe against another tribe as opposed to a, even a person against a person. Because inside of me, if I go back to the people of mercy, I can recognize that, look, I've rolled through some four-way stops. I have done some things that I needed mercy for. So to get on Facebook and blah, put everybody on notice... Um, next time I'm going to post a photo of it and I'm going to tell their parents. Well, you know, um, that's not a people of mercy. That is a people of revenge and anger and fear. And, and, and of course, that is so banal and so you know microscopic as to seem inconsequential. But it, it's just the core of who we are. And when it plays out across life, uh for sure what we saw in the last two years was how people could categorize each other into into groups like out of nowhere. Yeah. Two years ago, there was no such thing as masked or non-masked people. I, there wasn't even a conversation and suddenly now that's a conversation. Now there's the group. Yeah. The max, the, the, vac, uh, the vax, the unvax, the, you know, it was, we've far gone from Republican and Democrat, right? <laughs> right. We're, we're All in these there. subsets. Yeah, we're like wafering this thing up into finer and finer slices yeah. of divisions of people, which parenthetically is the story of human history. Yeah. The problem in a place like Iraq is it's not just as simple as uh, Shia versus Sunni that is in there. 
but inside of Shia and Sunni, there are subsects of mm. it, and then there are tribes in it. And so, if you remember, even when we were fighting ISIS as America in Syria and in Iraq, we were actually fighting beside Iran. Yeah. Because they were against that. And then as soon as the ISIS was pushed back, Iran started firing on us again. It's literally like when you start in these tribes inside of the tribes, you can't just go in there and say uh, democracy is the solution uh, because the tribes are still fighting each other. There is no such thing as a, a common good of the people when you're thinking about a nation, especially on a globe. But it's like literally inside of us, your evil desires is what is going to drive it. And so when Jesus comes back to us and says, if you try to divide yourself by anything other than those who are forgiven and those who I want to forgive. Yeah you're going to continue to war and to battle with each other. And those of us that are forgiven and, um, and and celebrate that and live a life of that, that should be then what we're compelled to do, mm-hmm. to forgive, right? So yeah. you talk about being a, a people of mercy. You know, if you look up mercy on the dictionary, it comes up with three definitions, which I find interesting, mm-hmm. actually. Um, one is compassion or forbearance shown especially to an offender or to one subject to one's power. So like that's the first definition Hmm. of mercy to show compassion to an offender, Um, which would be us in that, in that story, right? We Mm -hmm. were the offender. Yeah. So we've been shown compassion. And then there's the other one, a blessing that is an act of divine favor, compassion. And then the third is compassionate treatment to those in distress. Yeah. So it's driven by compassion, mm-hmm. really. So a, a church, uh, a people of mercy, are, would be those that kind of reflect the same mercy that we've been given through compassion. Yeah, the old theologian's statement as far as grace versus mercy, grace is not getting, um, is getting what you didn't deserve, and mercy is not getting what you do deserve. Mm-hmm. I might have that backwards, actually. But I deserve hell. I deserve punishment and I didn't get that right God had mercy mercy yeah on me newsboys wrote a song about that don't you remember on the going public record for those that follow Christian music that do listen to our podcast they'll appreciate that nugget what year was that (laughs) you know you probably know what season it came out (laughs) Uh, going public I think it was 95 or 96 this would be my guess Here's why that's embarrassing. That would have been the years that I was at Vanguard Entertainment and we were representing the Newsboys. Yeah. Scott Huey was their agent. Was that when they did the Pup Tent Tour? Do you remember that? The big inflatable no. parking lot tent? That God bless Dave, Dave Wagner. Uh, I don't know if he was working with the Newsboys yet, but the the cockamamie schemes that that band has come up with on their tours, like somebody actually has to do that stuff. It was released in 94. I was off a year. Oh. My apologies. But yeah, they had this song called uh, "What Was It?" Real good thing. Uh, it, it was all about mercy and grace, and they used that same same line. Just you know, when you get what you don't deserve, it's a real good thing. It was, it was a really big song for them and the Newsboys. Was John James still the lead singer? He was. Do you remember when he wasn't? I do. When he when, before John James? I, no, no. I remember like after. Like one day he just wasn't the lead. Oh, singer. that's right. Yeah. Yeah, that was uh, that was a late '90s. What album would that have been? "Take Me to Your Leader" was his last record. It was '96 or '7. Yeah. yeah, they did a ticketed concert at Cynthia Woods Pavilion in Houston, Texas. I remember this That's so, so vividly. <laughs> at the time, it was the largest ticketed Christian concert 
uh, it was like some record they had set. Like Carmen had had the largest one, but he wasn't selling tickets. And John just wasn't there. Like to my remembrance, there was no formal announcement. We should get like, Dave Wagner on the phone. There was no formal announcement. It just suddenly Peter, who at that point had like a, like it looked like baby chicken, yellow hair. He was kind of frumpy, and and like literally like then like the next day he was in shape. He was wearing dark eye makeup, shaved head, and was the lead singer of the Newsboys. And wow. nobody, it was like nobody noticed. Didn't skip a beat. It was unbelievable. It was like Australian profiling, maybe because we well, he's Australian. They all look the same. They all sound the same. I don't know, but it was like. I'm watching it going, oh, my gosh, this is going to be huge. Uh, Nobody noticed. No. No, because Peter shaved his head. Yes. To look like John. Look good. Yeah, and was so energetic. Gets out from behind the drums. Duncan, who was playing uh, percussion. Yeah, that's right. He was like the court jester or something. Yep. Played percussion. It moves over to the drums. And here we are 25 years later. Now, Peter's moved on. But still... Most of that crew is, is still together. Dude. Like, <laughs> Duncan's still playing drums. Yeah. I mean, it's honestly like impressive. Like It ought to be studied like in some college somewhere because the idea that you could just switch out the lead singer and not only did nobody really notice, they, it, they actually only got bigger from there. It was like, and I don't even know what happened to John James. Like, I don't know if he's like buried in back of somebody's yard or if he's like... You know, I did find an interview of him a few years back where he was kind of re- recanting his his story from his perspective of what all happened. Interesting. And um, it was, uh, I wouldn't say it was a story of redemption per se, but like a, it's a, he's on a journey. Oh, yeah, um, buddy. Poor guy. And, and yeah, but he was, he was kind of uh, lamenting on how he missed, he missed out on some pretty big things. Oh, he sure did. Um, yeah. People of mercy. Yeah. So the, the thing that, like, I don't want to miss, and I couldn't really talk about it much on Sunday, and I hesitate to talk about it now because it's so complex and it's so ridden with um, potential triggers and landmines. And A lot of nuances. Nuances is, like, when we go into identity politics, when you go into the idea of this group has oppressed this group and now they have to pay for it, uh, like there is uh, the, the, the dilemma then and what's happening in our own country right now is like how do you even assess the cost of a, a crime, a wrong that was done to ancestors? Like th- that's not a new idea, by the way. That's happening throughout history. That's w- the Kurds and the Turkish people, they are still battling each other over what's happening today but also over what was happening hundreds of years ago. The, the tribes within North Africa still battle against each other because of wrongs done from their generations. And so the, the reason why a people of mercy is so important is that at some point you're trying to punish somebody for a sin, make them pay for a crime, the, even if they didn't commit it, they're now paying for it. And if, like when they're monetizing it, it wasn't a crime that cost money, so how do you even begin to assign who gets the money and how much it is and where does it go? And it it's uh, it looks good on paper, and in real life, it will descend into uh, into destruction. And so, you know, what what happened in Buffalo, New York, last week? Um, 
a guy that did not was not a people of mercy and he had perceived crimes against him and so he was going to go and make them pay for it that's what happened in LA with a uh, Chinese man that walked into a church and shot Taiwanese people the Chinese guy because of crimes supposedly committed against and maybe were committed against both of those are egregiously extreme examples of what happens when you are trying to punish somebody for supposed crimes against you or actual crimes against you. The, you know, the thing that this guy in New York had was that, you know, the, the stuff that he was cooking up in his head had not actually happened to him. A lot of people of color in our country, black people especially have experienced things from uh, that, that have been racially motivated, that have been embedded into things that have happened into them. And, and it's awful and it's reprehensible. And so what do you do about it? Do we, because what, what critical race theory has told us, what identity politics before that have told us is we figure out which group is the oppressor, figure out which group is the oppressed, and then we punish the oppressor and the oppressor has to pay the oppressed. In perpetuity? That's, the, there is no end. Yeah. yeah, where do you draw the line? Yeah. When does it stop, start? Like, when is enough? When has enough been paid back? How yeah. much? Yeah. Are, 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 have they given any parameters to some of some of these conversations? No, because there are no parameters. Because there's nobody in charge of it. Like, nobody gets to say when it's enough. Nobody gets to say how much is enough and how do you even dole it out to families? To Like, how do you... Yeah, I mean, we talked a little bit about this before we started recording, but it's reminiscent of what happened in 9-11 mm -hmm. and um, when they had to pay out, when the government decided to pay out to those that were killed in, in the attack. Yeah. Um, and even just wrapping your head around that idea that the United States government would pay out to those killed that they didn't kill, but that an enemy killed. There's a movie on, on Netflix called Worth that documents this. Uh, it's really good. But it's, it's the story of uh, Kenneth Feinberg, who was put in charge of figuring out that number. Yeah. In the complexity, in the nuance, how do you put a number on a soul, on a person? You have age, you have yeah. health, you have whether they were a good person or not. Yeah. It's a very intriguing. It's a true story, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. And that guy has been in everything from a BP oil spill to Methodist Church uh, like it's somehow it's a job now in our country to get to figure out how to assess a financial amount to a spiritual or a social ill. And the reason that it's so complex and the reason why whenever he, every situation he's done, this guy Feinberg has done, there are those who are kind of happy, those who are maybe happy. And then there are mostly people who are just really irritated because they, he didn't, it wasn't fair. Because they got more than I got, and it wasn't fair, and because my loved one meant more. And, the, and, and here's the thing. We're trying to put a financial number on a, a, a problem that isn't financial. And, and, and whether that's right or wrong is beyond – it's above my pay grade to, to say, other than to say that when it's – the reason you can't put a financial number on it is there's not a financial cost to it. It's a spiritual cost. It's, yeah. a, it's a social cost. It's a soul cost. It's mm -hmm. a relational cost. Which is why Christ came not to write a check for our sins. He came to give his life for them mm -hmm. because 
ultimately the wages of sin is death and you know the idea of really the only thing that is fair for someone who has lost a loved one for instance to a murder is that the murderer loses his life and even then it doesn't bring closure right it doesn't solve the problem and so when jesus came it was the one guy who was perfect who didn't deserve anything was mistreated was treated uh, in a court system illegally he he was a, it was a sham trial crucified executed publicly shamed and didn't deserve any of it and him saying if you'll just believe and receive this work that I've done, this is the way forward in life is not to get you now to pay for or me to pay for, but I'll pay for it with my life. And now you are a people of mercy, a people of God. And, and it's just a better way to live in general, but it's the only way out of this. There is no other way Yeah, that doesn't end in civil wars. It doesn't end in, the, the, the forever battle of right versus left versus it's just mercy. Have mercy on us, God. Yeah, it's not like the Lord is carrying around a ledger and um, you know putting it on our tab no. for every sin that we commit. Back in the day when, when I was managing artists, and I think you did this too, if an artist was late to bus call, mm. you would issue a fine yes. for every minute. Yes, <laughs> I'd take were, it out of their per diem. That's right. And so... Which seemed to work. It's amazing how uh, much quicker and how much more consistently you can show up to bus call if you're going to be fined. Yeah. It makes you wonder, though, like if, if each of us had to pay, if, if, a, if a number was assigned to uh, levels of sin that we committed. Right. What's the price? Yeah. yeah. What's the price? And would we, would we start, would we change our actions? Would we change our behavior if yeah. we knew we were running up a ledger of... A sin ledger. Yeah. Well, so think about it just in terms of bus call, right? You and I both have probably mental pictures of some of the same people who <laughs> just who were the ones, you know. Inevitably. You know, and it was remarkable how all of a sudden uh, he could be on time right. when he knew he was coming out of his per diem that day. But think about, like, now 20 years later, that same guy is still late to everything. That same guy. Like, it didn't change it didn't him. didn't change his behavior. It just, he, he was able to figure out how to, for that moment, to change just enough to get his right. $15 per diem, but... But, right. you know, but here it is 20 years later and still missing exits on the highway and still, you know, trying to figure out how to get to a flight on time and, you know, running yeah. through airports. But, you know, it didn't actually – the financial thing made him feel a little bit of pain, but it didn't actually – it didn't, doesn't change him right. at all. And it's, you know, it's it's nihilistic in some ways, but the view of uh, of us trying to solve this – sin problem without Jesus is always going to end Mm -hmm. badly because it's literally the only option that someone could come and pay for my sins because, you know, back to the simplicity of the Facebook group, you know, there are people that drive through the neighborhood that I'm like, come on, man, you're going to, I need you to slow down, bro. Riding my tail, you know, to my, but, but honest to goodness, I've done that. Sure. Right. Like I have done that. So, I wanted mercy for me and justice for them. And that's all of us, mm-hmm. every one of us. I need mercy because I have treated people poorly. I mean, I was, uh, I don't know how you were when you were, but I was like, a, I was picked on as a kid, like bullied. And uh, 
we were, and by, by the way, later in life, I learned that, and I'm learning it now because I'm actually seeing some of my friends who, who I graduated with, who now live in the town that I, they live still in the live in the town I lived in. Their kids are now graduating from the high school that I graduated from. Wow. Yeah. And I'm realizing, oh, my parents graduated from that school. And if they had Facebook back in the eighties, they probably would have thought the same thing. Like, oh my, we're, but some of those things that were set up in that little town, as far as who was popular and who wasn't sure. and who was wealthy and who wasn't, were set in place long before 1971 when I was born. Mm-hmm. They were set in place by my parents and my parents' parents because they had been around and they all went to school with each other. So I didn't even know it, but I'm already in the system that, you know. Yeah. But at some point I look back and I don't feel the bitterness against the guys that, you know, we would fight or bully or whatever. And because at some point you just have to let it go. Sure. You know, and. I don't remember who said it, but the best revenge is living well. Yeah. Um, so if you're looking for revenge, which is not a good motivation, go do something <laughs> good with your life, you know? Right. Um, but Jesus says here in, in, in 1 Peter 2, the Bible tells us that the, it's, it's not the revenge, but it's just that's how you shut this whole thing up is just do good. And, and by the way, he's talking to that specifically in the context of people who were powerless being abused by people in power, the, the persecuted Christians being treated by the government in a way that they couldn't. Do, and there was there was no peaceful protesting. There was no voting. There was none of that was even an option for them. So he's like, OK, this is your situation. You can't change it. So here's your thing. Don't go get revenge on them. Don't uh, try to punish them. But you, your best option right now is to suffer well. And if you suffer well, knowing that Jesus himself suffered in that same way, that you will then be able to preach the gospel by doing something, by living good. Because he actually says, you know, any of you can just, you know, under good treatment can do good, but who who among you under bad treatment can rise up and be, you know, this loving person? It's what Jesus' people can be. And, you know, our delicate dance in our modern world is that we actually have this exact opposite government where we are the it's a representative government so technically they work for us and technically uh, we are the government so we do have a voice so we can speak up we get to speak up we have the opportunity to go into government to work to go into schools to work like we have those opportunities here but the delicate dance is that we can't do that in a way now and now that we're there we're going to punish those we're doing this out of revenge toward those. Like that's just not the motivation that's going to get us anywhere because that puts us literally in the same game, just on another side of the fence of trying to get revenge in a world that needs mercy. When you were in middle school and high school, did you say would you were you bullied or the bully? Oh, bullied. Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, my seventh grade year, I think it was, I got stuffed into a locker. <laughs> did I ever tell you that? Were you? Oh, I got. Did you fit? On. Uh, yeah, they they found a way to get me in there. <laughs> I just recalled that I hadn't thought about that in probably thirty years. But yeah, I just remember that deeply repressed memory of uh, middle school. Right. But yeah, I got I got hustled up and pushed into a locker. <laughs> so I would have envisioned you as a tall kid because you're tall now. Like you, I, I didn't really hadn't really hit my growth spurt. It, so like the. Uh, the, high, the, the school that I went to back then, it was grades 7, 8, and 9, mm-hmm. and then high school was 10, 11, 12. And so, you know, I'm a 7th grader, barely, you know, and, uh, you know, the ninth graders, you know, kind of came by and saw, saw. Just shoved you in there? Rallied me up, pushed me in. No, did you guys, so we, oh, so we fought. Did you guys fight? Like, we fought, no. fought. I mean, there were fights, but I, I never was, 
I wasn't. I was too afraid of what would happen when I got home. Oh, interesting. Uh, if I was to throw a punch. Ah. Uh, yeah. So that's not how it was in Nebraska. Like no, we, you were every man for himself. For sure. Like, and it was. Uh, I mean, I, 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 if I were to just off the top of my head, I could probably think of seven to, actually maybe ten, like fights that I was in. Like, <laughs> what was your record? Were you you undefeated? Uh, uh, oh no, I was definitely defeated because uh, uh, Travis Shanerock. No, 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 no. What was his name? Oh, calling names now. Rothschild. It was a Rothschild kid. Of I threw. It was. I threw a punch at him, and it did. Oh, that's true. Rothschild. That's funny. Uh, and it ended really poorly for me. <laughs> he was like three years older than me, and uh, but I, I don't know. It was like we just were fighters. You know, we. Uh, I don't know. We. I look at it now, going. I don't know that that was so normal, but it just felt normal that we were. Uh, you just get into scraps and, you know, I got, I got in seventh grade or eighth grade, I got in a whole bunch of trouble cause I broke Joe Ordick's glasses cause I punched him, um, in the lunch line. Uh, he, I, I, I want to say that he, he had it coming. He did. I can't remember though. I feel like I took the first swing, which is not a good way to do that. Uh, no, but that's what's beautiful is like now, all these years later, you've learned to be people of mercy, compassion. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't been in a fight in a long time. That's right. You know, a couple couple of moments in Guatemala and Haiti, but you know, not like uh, uh, not not around here. Like I've never thrown a punch at anybody here. Like I'm a lover, <laughs> not a fighter. Like I don't want to fight. Oh, when man. I was in, um, I was a junior in high school, and I was in love with Mary Yelm, and she lived in Hebron, Nebraska. And Hebron was the arch nemesis of us in football. And okay. And so I had done the inexcusable where I had, like, I was dating across high school rivals. Yeah, enemy lines. 45 minutes away. Yeah, yeah. And so I uh, was, uh, one night I told my mother, I was with my buddy Marcus Gonzalez, and I, we told my mom that I was going to stay the night at his house, and we told his mom we are going to stay the night at... Classic oh, move. Oh, classic move. What could possibly go wrong? And we went to Hebron uh, to see Mary. It's not like she could track you on your, your, your oh, yeah, Apple phone. Yeah, there was no Live 360. No, no. No, so, but we get to Hebron, and uh, it was Friday night, and we're driving. We're, we're actually walking, because I, you know, I don't remember why we were walking. Gas was too much. Car, like, skids to a stop next to us, and out get these two guys. Uh, and I, I actually can't remember the guy's name. He's in, He went to jail, actually, later for stabbing somebody. <laughs> So he comes, you know, he doesn't even know who I am, but I'm with one of the, I'm with a Hebron girl. So he starts to grab my girlfriend to throw her in the car. Oh man. And, you know. Escalated quickly. Oh dude. So my, my buddy Marcus Gonzalez picks up a rock and throws it at, his name is Zach something, hits him in the chest and it sort of bounces off like in a, uh, like a cartoon. Right. And then Marcus runs. Like he's Speedy Gonzalez for this, what we call him for a reason. He was actually like a track star. And he's gone. And so, uh, you know, I'm like, I, I, I remember I, t- I, threw, I threw a punch at this guy, Zach, and I missed. I hit him on the shoulder. Terrible, mm. terrible start. I, you know, tell Mary, run, 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 run. And uh, the last thing I remember was being kicked in the head Ooh. on the ground. Uh, and then I remember waking up with Mary looking at me. And the first thought in my mind was my mother's last words when I left the house that evening was, now, if you go to see Mary Elm, it's against my will. <laughs> first thought in my mind is now they're going to know. Because <laughs> I'm literally, my eye is swollen shut. I am like bruised. How did you and, get yourself out of that one? Um, Probably didn't. 
No, no, no. I, I had to go home and tell, yeah. you know, come clean. And of course my dad was like, well, what did you do to deserve it? What do you, you know, right. that comes up in therapy years later, but, um, oh man, but, uh, I don't even remember why I'm telling it other than, you know, we were fighters and, uh, it just never ended well with, uh, even if I'd have won that night, it doesn't end well. People of mercy, a church of mercy, a church on purpose. Thankfully, those are those are stories of the past, right? Yeah, like, they, yeah but you, they, you they learn are, from those things. But you know, they they are, and I think about it like that passion, that scrappiness that you get yeah, from being, a, you know, you're you're a hillbilly's kid from yeah. Dayton, Ohio, Ohio, with history in the West Virginia uh-huh. hillbillies. Like we don't necessarily fight with fists now, mm. but we didn't back down when the government said shut down. Because not because of our rights, but because of the people that it was harming. That's good. Um, it's true. We don't back down uh, to be kind. Like we back, we we went forward. We were we, we doubled our efforts, tripled our efforts with it. Yeah. And so there is a there is a thing where you can be a people of mercy uh, by protecting those who are in need of protection as well. So when we are sending money to Haiti or Africa or wherever, like with it, uh, even in our own cities here with addicts, like we're we are fighting a fight, having mercy on somebody who is not being shown mercy through really bad government policies, through oppression of government forces or liberal media elites, whatever that are, you know, we, we will fight that stuff. Maybe not with fists, but we will not back down because it's not merciful to let someone else get, you know, crushed by an act of injustice. As we wrap this up, just want to encourage those that are listening to find ways to show mercy this week. I, you know, that that's probably easier said than done, but I think it, uh, it behooves us to take some inventory yeah. and look around and look for ways, find ways that we can show compassion and mercy on those, starting with those closest to us, yeah. maybe even in our own household. Um mm. And and see how that spills over. See how that plays out in the long term. And especially as as living stones, if we're all doing that, if we all have the mindset of compassion and mercy individually, when we come together here in the church um, as a church body, man, you can see how much we can get done for the kingdom. How much ground we can take back when we're all in unity. It's a powerful thing. Yeah, when you get to a, a place. Like Uganda, so I'm going back in July. Like when we say take back ground for the kingdom, we're not going in there with with swords and guns. We're going in there with a well, with a school, with a clinic. Doing good. Yeah. And saying, you know, to the people here that this this is the image. We are image bearers of God. You are an image bearer of God. And so you are valuable enough that Christ would die for you. So an act of mercy there is your government is oppressing you. Your government is for sure not helping you. But Jesus got the attention of this white kid from Nebraska to get all the way over here, not because I'm noble, but because God is good. And verse 15, just one more reminder, for it is God's will, chapter 215, that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. That's right. Um, Now, it goes on to say this, and I guess we'll have to pick this up another time. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God and honor the emperor. Yeah. Um, and, I, you know, the point I, w- I guess I can make real quickly is that fear God, honor the emperor. Is there going to be rules that the emperor puts in place that we honor? But if those rules 
oppose God, we fear God. So God wins. When the emperor's rules go against God's, we are we fear God, but we honor the emperor. So if the emperor makes a rule that we that goes against God's laws, we do not obey the emperor because I'm not afraid of him. Yeah. My fear is of God. That's good. Really good reminder. And again, I'm thankful for this series as we kind of calibrate um, what, it, what it looks like to be a church on mission, on with a vision, on purpose. And next week, we're going to wrap up this series as we kind of talk about um, what church culture looks like um, with values in place that act as guardrails for us to keep us out of the ditches. And so we're going to wrap that up next week. And again, if, if maybe you're just catching up on this podcast, maybe you're new to the podcast, we have about a year's worth for you to scroll down and listen to. I uh, would love to have you get caught up on that um, from our deeper podcast. And then off, then also obviously our teaching series over this past year as well. Conduitchurch.com. You can follow us there and catch up on all the latest. We look forward to seeing you next week.